Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of Truth Be Told podcast. I'm Shetty. I'm Shabs. It's been quite a long time since we did last recording, hasn't it? Yeah, um, it's been a couple of months at least, I think. Yeah, it just got really, really busy in between and we've not really had the chance to settle down. So we're hoping from now we can start adding more episodes again. And we've been really looking forward getting back into it as well. Um, I think we're going to aim to do one a month now, aren't we? Just to make sure it's consistent. Yeah, definitely. Um, I've got more time on my hands. I've come quite close to summer break now, so, or as we call it over here, summer holidays. <laughs> <laughs> We've actually had some really lovely weather for England, haven't we? I think it's been um, about 41 consecutive days. Am I, am I wrong to think that? No, I think that's right. I don't remember having um, this much sunshine since we were little. Now, I'll be honest with you, I think it's less than that. I was hearing on the radio um, on the way home from a drive from work that we haven't had this any hot days in something like 40 years. So it's been really, really hot. And I was talking to my dad about the temperature and I said it's been hot for ages. And he remembers in 1970 sometime <laughs> that far back that there were 15 days of absolute glorious weather. So we've been making the most of it really and... Um, I hope that hot weather actually continues. It's not often in Manchester that we get weather like that. It's always raining here. We don't actually know what to do with ourselves when we have a week more, uh, uh, more than a week of sunshine. No, I, I, I do. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for us to break up this week. So I've, I've been praying that the weather's actually going to be really, really nice because as soon as I get onto the holidays, I wouldn't mind, you know, taking the kids out, doing stuff with them and you know, getting out there and enjoying the sun a bit. So gives me more time to be able to sit in the garden, have a bit of a read and, and crack on with a bit of planning that I need to do for next year uh, for my teaching anyway. You stop talking, Shabnam. <laughs> I'm trying to get used to um, podcasting again. Like you said, it's been a while. Feel like, it feels like we've done a driving test, passed that driving test and um, forgotten how to drive. It's like the first First episode all over again. No, I think we're a lot better than a lot better than that, aren't we? To be honest. So we're still continuing with our theme of horror and um, crimes. So for the fourth episode, we have a, a kind of famous one, the Amityville mm-hmm. Horror, mm-hmm. which I think most people have probably seen. Yeah. Um, the film off. Yeah. They've made um, a few versions to that. Um, one more recently was I think it was Ryan Reynolds yeah, wasn't that was. one um, yeah. I wasn't a big fan of that one to be honest with you but then I'd, I remember the original and it's something that I remember watching when I was a lot younger and it's always kind of stuck with me so there's um, the original Amityville uh, horror was Amityville me- I keep saying that wrong it's actually the Amityville isn't it yeah it's a well I- I'm guessing it's Amityville Judging so. by some friends that I've spoken to in America, so it's, it is um, a Meatyville horror. And the original film that was released, now, I must have been quite young when I watched it, because it's always stuck with me, um, but the there's not anyone really... I'm just thinking of who's in the film that was relatively famous. There was, it was um, Lois Lane in Superman. She was the actress in the Meatyville horror. Was she the wife? Yeah, she was a wife in it, oh, yeah. Oh, I never knew yeah. her life. Oh. But I just remember one scene in the Meatyville Horror. I don't want to spoil it for people that are out there, but there was one scene, and it, to this day, it still freaks me out. And if you've watched the Meatyville Horror, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. It's uh, the scene. No, no, I mean, hand gestures over there, not, not, <laughs> not that scene. Um, 
the scene is the one where the um, the boy's fingers get trapped in the window and it comes oh, to a shut. Yeah. I don't know, for some strange reason, that has always stuck with me. And even though, you know, I'm, a, I'm an absolute horror fanatic and I watch horror films and thrillers and everything all day long, but for some reason that particular moment in time sticks with me. I think the red eyes of that, yes, what, what freak me out from that film. It's been a really long time since I've seen it. That was when, is that when the um, child says that they can see their friend outside or? Yeah, the the pig, the red the eyes. Pig red the pig red eye one, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, classic classic film. It'll be very interesting looking at the history into it. And Chabs is feeling confident enough to be our reader today. <laughs> I might regret this halfway through. Okay, so should we start with that? So this is episode four, The Amityville Horror. In the early morning hours of November the 13th, 1974, six members of the Defoe family were slain in their beds with a 35 calibre rifle. 23-year-old Ronald Defoe Jr., the eldest child, confessed to murdering his entire family in cold blood. Dead were parents Louise and Ronald Defoe Sr., and his siblings, 18-year-old Dawn, 13-year-old Alison, 12-year-old Mark, and 9-year-old John Matthew. Ronald's father was a domineering and abusive man, and his mother seemed to fade into the background under his overbearing personality. From that, Ronald Jr. grew increasingly troubled into young adulthood. He began to rely on drugs and alcohol to cope. He lashed out physically and even threatened his father with a gun. Ronald's parents hoped that a weekly stipend and gifts would appease their troublesome son. By age 18, Ronald Jr. technically held a job at the family-owned auto dealership but rarely bothered to show up. So on that day in 1974, it wasn't unusual that Ronald Jr. decided to leave work at noon out of boredom. He met with friends at a bar, constantly calling his house to no answer and complaining about it to anyone who would listen. He eventually left. The next time anyone saw Ronald Jr., the entire town of Amityville would be changed forever. Ronald Jr. re-entered the bar around 6.30am yelling, You've got to help me, I think my mother and father are shot. Some patrons followed him back to the house on Ocean Avenue and became witness to the horrifying scene within. All six bodies were found in their beds, positioned on their stomach. The victims appeared to be shot with a high-powered rifle at around 3.15am. However, there were some things that didn't quite add up. There were no signs of any struggle present on the bodies or evidence that they were drugged. No neighbours who were awake reported hearing any gunshots, only the Defoe's family dog barking into the night. Upon a police investigation, 
Ronald Jr.'s alibi of being at work and then the bar began to crumble. As police noted, the family had been dead before 6am. Ronald Jr. frantically changed his story, as he would several more times throughout the Amityville murders investigation. At one point, he claimed that mob hitman Louis Fellini killed his family and made him watch. But Fellini has a solid out-of-state alibi and soon Ronald Jr. confessed to police what was assumed to be the truth. He'd murdered his family by himself. Defoe stood trial on October 14th, 1975. His attorney, William Weber, mounted an insanity plea, stating that the defendant heard voices that told him to kill his family. However, the prosecution argued that while the drug abusing Defoe was indeed troubled, he knew what he was doing when he committed the Amityville murders. A jury convicted him on six counts of second-degree murder and sentenced him to six concurrent sentences of 25 years to life. In a later version of Ronald Jr.'s changed story, he alleges that his sister Dawn killed a father and then their distraught mother killed all the siblings. In this scenario, Defoe only killed his mother. Though the stories of the Amitville house being haunted are subject to debate, there is very little doubt that Ronald Defoe Jr. was present for the mass murder of his family in their home. But the question still lingers, is the Amitville house really haunted? On December the 18th, 1975, the Lutz family moved into the Defoe home. Though it had only been 13 months since the Defoe murders had occurred, George and Kathleen Lutz thought the Dutch colonial was a lovely home and a steal at $80,000, never expecting they'd have to leave it all behind 28 days later. A Catholic priest arrived while the Lutz family was unpacking to bless the family home. As the priest made his way upstairs to the second floor, entering the children's bedrooms. He began sprinkling holy water, at which point an unseen voice told the priest, get out, which he hastily did. The priest did not tell the Lutz family about the voice, but he did warn them, do not use the upstairs room as a bedroom and not to let anyone sleep in there. Although ominous, the Lutz family abided by the words of the priest and turned the room into a sewing room. From the very first night they moved in, the family claimed they felt strange sensations. Within days, the family's personality had drastically changed and arguments ensued. George was plagued by a constant chill and spent all his time feeding the fireplace. George also noticed a change in his grooming habits and his and Kathy's health declined drastically. The Lutz's daughter began spending all her time in her room playing with an imaginary friend. She described a red-eyed pig called Jodie, who could transform not only in shape but size 
at times being larger than the house. Geordie also claimed she could not be seen by anyone unless she wanted them to. Mysterious foul odours would emanate from different locations of the house. Black stains appeared on the toilets and ceramic fixtures. Kathy was touched by an unseen force and green gelatine substance would appear throughout the house. Hundreds of flies appeared in the sewing room and despite, despite it being the dead of winter, George would wake up nightly at 3.15am which coincided with the time the police felt the Defoe's were murdered. George also awoke one night to witness his wife transform into a 90-year-old hag and the next night she began levitating off the bed. The Lutz family tried on numerous occasions to contact the Catholic priest only to find the phones would cut whenever they tried to make a call. After failing to get the priest to return, the family took matters into their own hands. Armed with a crucifix, they walked throughout the house reciting the Lord's Prayer. A chorus of voices erupted in response, asking them, Will you stop? The final night was reported to be the worst. Banging and rappings as loud as a marching band emanated throughout the house. Furniture being moved by its own accord and the children being terrorised. After 28 days in the Defoe home, the family claimed they could no longer take any more. They grabbed only a few belongings and fled the house, taking shelter at Kathy Lutz's mother's home in nearby Babylon. 20 days after the Lutzes fled, paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren were called in by Marvin Scott, a news reporter with Channel 5 New York, who had covered the Amityville story and worked on a prior investigation with the Warrens. A team of reporters, investigators and parapsychologists were assembled by Ed Warren and met at the home of 112 Ocean Avenue. The Lutz family refused to re-enter the home during the investigation. During the investigation, Ed was physically pushed to the floor while using some religious provocation in the basement. Lorraine was also overwhelmed by the sense of a demonic presence and was plagued by her psychic impressions of the of the Defoe family's bodies laid along the floor, covered in white sheets, and a sense of physically being pushed back. The research team also captured an image of a spirit that appeared as a little boy peering from the second floor. The Lutz left the Amityville house at Ocean's Drive after 28 days of moving in, citing that they could no longer remain living there. The house has four owners since then and there have been no evidence of anything paranormal. The address has been changed to deter people visiting the house and to precipitate sales. The house is now valued over one million dollars. So that was the fourth episode of the Truth Be Told podcast. Uh, a very interesting read actually. 
it's interesting to hear just at the end over there that although there was a murder originally in the first instance, um, after that point, it was only the one family, I think you said, that had um, any... Um, paranormal activity. Pan- yeah, paranormal activity. Yeah, the Lutz family. When, after that, I'm not sure who owned the house, but there were four owners after. I'm still quite impressed that it sold for such a large sum. You wouldn't have thought a house that was uh, had some form of paranormal activity would have gone for so much money. Well, some people seek it out, don't they? Some... Do you think so? I, they do seek out dolls and stuff online. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but... The creepy dolls on eBay. Mm, and the they seem to sell ones. for a lot. They're, they're the business on its own, actually. But uh, I've had a, a read of a few of the dolls that are online and they go for quite a lot of money, actually. Um, and they have a whole history of of things they've done in their past before. It's that strange. It wouldn't surprise me if there was some sort of artefacts from the um, the house on no, eBay. Yeah, I mean, you can, you can always understand that people are going to try to buy memorabilia from instances that that happened a lot with um um murders in the past here in the UK as well for example um Rosemary and Fred West their house was demolished purely for that purpose to prevent people coming around and taking pictures and you know people that actually go out there and seek to collect the memorabilia as well but still 1 million you said 1 million dollars on the house i i think that's a, a massive sum considering when it was around about when it was sold it was actually a very big house, though. I don't know if you remember from the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but and also, they did. They have changed the address. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think even changed the exterior of the mm-hmm. house so people can't recognise it as the, as the actual house. But still, houses in America are not that expensive. If you look at it... I mean, we're going by what we've seen in the film. If it's, if it, if it's a house that big, it wouldn't... Uh, you know, and unless anyone wants to email out there and tell us otherwise... I, I just generally think it's quite expensive for a house that's haunted. Normally, it devalues it quite quickly when something's going on or it, there's an assumption that something's happened there. Certainly, if there's murders that have happened there, that'll put a lot of people off. But, like, how do you actually know, even in England, if you bought a house, whether, no. whether someone had been Yeah, you're right. You it, doesn't, know. it doesn't have to be disclosed by law, so... I think there is actually... Actually, I think there is a new law, which, if you ask, they have to, te- they have to tell you but that's only if you ask yeah. whether be a limit. there have been murders or mm. paranormal there, activity. There in the would house. be a limit to how long they would have records for to what happened in the house, and not always reported, is it? Let's be honest. It's actually interesting because one of um, the people that I work with, he's called Carl. I'm sure he won't mind me mentioning his name. Carl <laughs> <laughs> has just bought a house um, with his fiance, and he took a picture. Carl's going to be frowning at this very moment, thinking, hmm. <laughs> he was renovating, um, and he took a picture, and then he was showing people at work of, uh, you know, different angles of okay. the house, and you could see what looks like an old lady looking out of the window. It's really strange you say that, and when we talk about kids often, and how many times have you heard uh, a kid say they had a, a friend or an imaginary friend? Uh, I'll give you a prime example. Uh, when I bought the house I'm living in currently, and if you do hear weird noises in the background, it's actually not me. I've not added anything on. But when I bought the house I'm currently sat in, um, my nephew at the time, he was around about four years old. And we sat and I was watching the television. And there's this empty space on the left-hand side, actually where I'm sat at this moment in time. Um, I thought it was where I'm sitting. No, it's, it's not. <laughs> it was further afield. It's exactly where I'm sat here, further towards the back of the house. But where we were sat in the other room facing this direction. My nephew kept looking to the left 
and I was wondering why he kept looking to the left. And I said, I asked him, I said, why are you, why do you keep looking to the left? What's wrong? He said, I'm just looking at that man sat over there. Oh, that he actually said, I'm looking at that old man sat over there. <laughs> Thank God for me, I'm actually not freaked about out about stuff like this. I can imagine that would actually panic a lot of people. I, would, I wouldn't like it if it was my house and somebody yeah. said that. The only thing is, I hope that Carl's um, fiancé doesn't listen to this because he hasn't actually told her that he's seen this <laughs> apparition in the house and they've just moved in. So that's quite questionable, isn't it? He said he doesn't want to freak her out. <laughs> if you could see my face now, I'm thinking, am I supposed to be editing this out? or Am, am I, I not going to edit this out? I might have dobbed him in it. No, I don't think she actually listens to horror um, related things I'll, I'll, I'll let him know to not listen to this episode with with her okay but Carl does he listens to it does he yeah yeah okay <laughs> sorry Carl she's just dobbed you in there without my permission <laughs> or anything of such so <laughs> so I also note that apart from the two films I watched on the Amityville Horror there's actually been a lot of spin-offs now I'm not a big fan of spin-offs because I think once it gets to second or third, it's just producers in Hollywood trying to make a lot of money. So they know people are willing to go ahead and watch horror films, but not on any basis of, of quality, I would say. So I think... A they re- stretch the truth, don't they, by that point? They, they do. They, they, they realise that there's money to be made. And it's exactly like what they did with the Saw films, even though the Saw films weren't true. They knew people... People like films that can't be explained or... Or really freaks them out. So they have a tendency to um, make as many as they can and try to make as much money as they can. It kind of spoils the story. It kind of dilutes what the original story was uh, prior to that. So the first two Amityvilles, I keep saying Amityville, but it's Amityvilles. The first two Amityvilles, the one that was released um, in 19... I'm sure it was 82. Yeah. I think it's it's around about that time. But then there was one recent uh, release of Ryan Reynolds about 10 years ago I'm taking a guess on that one again but I think it is about 10 years ago um the sure the listeners will know if they've seen both but they both follow the same theme and it's the same theme of the actual father becoming uh progressive progressively (laughs) more um angry throughout the film doesn't he yeah, I think so. They took a little bit of a different take. Doesn't that I remind you of The Shining? One. It does. I was just thinking about the Stanley hmm. Kubrick film. Yeah, because that's not actually what happened. Um, well, it's interesting because in 2013, one of the children, um, Danny Lutz, I think he was the youngest child of the Lutz family, um, actually there was a documentary done and he spoke out about how his stepfather, who was George Lutz, um, was into cults and black magic and practiced like the dark, um, the dark crafts, if you will, um, and held seances in the house and that he was a very violent kind of um, man who I guess you could say was not too dissimilar to, um, was it Jack in The Shining? Yeah, yeah. I've, I recently watched um, a documentary on William Friedkin who did a, he just recently did this documentary on uh, the story behind The Exorcist. Um, you've not watched it yet. I've watched it and it's actually very, very interesting. No, I've not seen it. And um, one thing he points out there time and time again is people that seem to have some history of possession tend to come from quite deeply religious families or certainly families that seem to want to tinker, I would say, with the dark arts. Mm. 
um, and they seem to be more susceptible to stuff like that. So you're not, it, it's an interesting one because you're not really quite sure. Are they actually hearing voices? Is it something they've been brought up to believe over many, many years or seeing people in the family practicing it and they're more likely to be susceptible to thinking something's happening? Or are they just a, a person who's crying out for help who needs maybe medical care and there might be a history of, I mean, I, I don't want to use the wrong terminology, schizophrenia, yeah, insanity, yeah. stuff like that. Schizophrenia if you're mm-hmm. seeing and hearing things. Okay. But I guess where it, where it becomes difficult is if if a few members of the family are saying the same thing. But isn't that in does schizophrenia not pass in the family? Is it not more likely that you're able to get is it Yeah, but it's I, unlikely that mm. two of people are gonna be suffering with the exact same symptoms at the exact same time as seeing the exact but, same Okay, vision. let's let let's let's put it this way then. You've got someone in the family who's suffering from schizophrenia. You've got a member of the family who seems to be um, part of a cult, did you say before? Yeah. Or, or practising witchcraft, for that matter. Yeah, and I'd like yeah? to point out, not, not Wiccan, not white okay. magic. Okay, no, no, of yeah. course. And so you've got someone who, who has a history of schizophrenia. This is going on in the, in the background. Yeah. Um, schizophrenia probably at that point in time wasn't really understood really well. No. So it wasn't medically... Um, it wasn't medically um, treated as well, or diagnosed, I would say. Yeah. So isn't that likely, if that's going on, and other family members are seeing a person who has schizophrenia sees this, automatically links the two together and assume yeah. it's due to that? Could and be. that could be more likely that... I mean, I'm, I'm just going... I'm not... I'm throwing no, stuff into I, the... No, that could uh, be here. true in some circumstances, mm. but I don't know if in the Lutz family that any of them okay. were mentally unwell. Okay, we're just going... Yeah, we're yeah, just going by what we're saying. Because after that incident, like you say with the Lutz family, after that point... Nobody else. Nobody else has ever so had it. So could it just be that the Lutz family were practising things that in- brought things yeah. to the house? And were they aware of the incident that happened prior? And are they yeah. playing on that purely... Could be. I mean, Ed and Lorraine Warren went in and they, they're famous for going into and investigate mm-hmm. paranormal, um, you know, paranormal events and have been accused of scaremongering mm-hmm. and, and fabricating stories and making the, like, people who are involved, um, making them elaborate on their stories with the promise of, that if a film gets made off it or a book, that you know you'll become wealthy. That happens a lot, though. People people will change the story just to make it more believable. Completely off topic. I watched a documentary recently about Sound of Music, and um, if you look at the um, Von, Tra- Von Trapp family, mm-hmm. uh, Maria, the the main female uh, who was the mother at the time. If you actually look at the real history and the history that was brought out by the Austrians on that, who barely recognised Sound of Music, they say a lot of the story was absolutely made up. It was fabricated. Yeah, I can um, that. The film makes out Maria von Trapp to be a very nice, calm, loving person, and the father was to be. Uh, the father actually was quite strict, but in real life, they say the father was a really caring one, and it was Maria von Trapp who actually wasn't. Oh, really? uh, so, I mean, this was I'm just this a prime example of a situation where people do maybe bend the truth a little or just, just for the sake of making something more popular or making it more interesting to people that are going to hear the story. Well, it's um, you know how I mentioned that the Warrens um, are involved in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. Well, the Amitaville one is their first and most famous, but they're also involved in the um, 
The Conjuring. Really? The Annabelle. Yeah, they, okay. were, they investigated those. They also investigated The Haunting in Connecticut. Okay. And a few others that I actually haven't heard of, but I'll just give the names for people for in case people want to read up about it. So all the ones that spawned off millions of pounds yeah, in cinema? Exactly. <laughs> the South End Werewolf, which I've never actually um, heard about, and the trial of Arne Cheyenne Johnson, mm-hmm. which we may look into in the future yeah. because they look interesting. Yeah. Okay, I think it's about time to wrap this episode up. I think it's been an interesting one. It's one that we wanted to do for a while. It's one that certainly we had high up on our list in terms of horror films that have actually have a true story behind them. Yep, um, I'm just going to mention to the listeners that the picture that I mentioned earlier about the little boy on the second floor is known as one of like the most freakiest pictures. So I'm going to put that up um, with the podcast for you all to look at. I'm sure you've probably seen it already, but I will pop it in there. Okay, that's brilliant. So thanks again for listening to our Truth Be Told podcast. You can follow us on um, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook. Um, I'm all forgetting. Are we on Spotify? We're on Spotify. Yeah. We're on iTunes as well. So yeah, we actually, so. You can, we can be found a lot of places now. We seem to be creeping up a lot of uh, listeners at the moment. We have a massive following in America, which is, um, you know, I did not expect that. But thank you guys for listening from that far afield. And I hope you stay with us. Um, so thank you again for listening. I'm Shady. I'm Shabs. Ciao for now. Bye.